1: And our text is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Paul writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The title of the message is Small-Mindedness. It's sad that in today's world, to be small-minded carries a very negative connotation, a very negative meaning. Today, if you talk about being small-minded, it's usually uh, regarded as being intolerant, being unthinking, being narrow-minded, and even downright ignorant. But the biblical concept, from the biblical point of view, we will discover from this letter of the Apostle Paul, to be small-minded carries a very different meaning. To be small-minded or to have a a small assessment of ourselves is a central tenet of the Christian faith. In other words, it's a central piece of who we are as Christians. In the Bible, to be small-minded means to be humble. That's what it literally means. To be humble in the sight of God and to be humble in the sight of other people. Humility is a central distinguishing mark of a born-again follower of Jesus. So it's not as cut and dried and as simple as that. Humility is a big piece of who we are. And these 11 verses in the letter to the Philippians, it, they give us several compelling reasons why humility should be the pursuit of every single one of us. Humility is an act of worship. It means that this attitude is something that we give out to God. When we say worship, it's not about God giving something to us. When we call ourselves worshippers, it means that we're giving something out to God. We are responding to the glory of God that we know and have received. We supply this attitude. Okay, This is something we don't pray about. Okay? You don't get on your knees and you say to God, Lord, make me humble. Be careful what you ask for. Okay? Because this is something that is the work of the Spirit in us to be able to bring us into that place of worship when it comes to God. If you think that you're a follower of Jesus this morning and if you think you are humble, you're literally saying that you have gone through the fires the refining fires of life and that produced in you the attitude of humility. Humility is the refining work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us gets us uh, through th- difficult journeys in life in order, s- in order to move us and mold us into a place of humility in our minds. Okay? Okay? So, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian this morning, and you are not yet humble, don't worry, God will make a way. Amen? There are three compelling reasons why we need to be small-minded or humble, okay? Only three things this morning. It's not like last Sunday where the sermon went on and on and on, all right? So, I'm giving you a break. I'm only giving you three points this morning. Number one, humility is necessary to receiving comfort and help from God. That's the first and most important thing about why we need to be humble. Because it's a key that causes us to receive comfort and help from God. Look at verse 1 again. Paul writes, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any, common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, Paul was actually posing this statement in the form of questions of affirmations. Uh, the context of this first verse is taken from the previous chap, chapter, verse 30. Well Paul writes, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now here that I still have. Paul says, if you follow Jesus, you will not be exempt from the trials and hardships and adversities of life. In fact, more likely, if you follow Jesus, your suffering will intensify. Okay, But Paul is saying it is granted to you to be a follower of Jesus and to share in the suffering of Jesus because the Holy Spirit is trying to conform you and I to the image of the Lord. And pr- the part of that process of conformity is to take us through life struggles in order to build in us a sense of humility necessary to receive comfort and help. And I think we all can understand that. God's heart is moved by our humble attitude. okay. And if God's heart is moved, God's hand will move. I don't think God ever, ever answers any prayers or dispense any blessing to anyone unless a person becomes small-minded unless be a person becomes humble. It's all over the Bible. The Bible says that God rejects the proud and he gives grace to the humble. The way to God's heart, the way to God's comfort, the way to God's blessing is small-mindedness. Looking at ourselves so highly sometimes prevents God from doing his work in our life. You know, sometimes we have a, a twisted way of spiritualizing our lack of humility. Okay, and I hear this from a lot of Christians. I mean, we're not conscious of it, but sometimes we come up with statements like, God helps those who help themselves. We tend to, to make it pious to spiritualize that, but that just isn't true. God doesn't help those who help themselves, God helps the humble. That's the key god's heart that's the key to moving god's hand in our life and so when we're praying about something when we're asking god to intervene in our situation the very first thing we need to look at is our attitude the attitude of our heart have we really surrendered that attitude to god have we really bowed down to the grace and mercy and power of god because that's the key And like I said, I don't believe that God simply answers a person's prayer without this one qualifying aspect or attitude, and that is humility. James 4.10, this is what the New Testament scripture says. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. I think that's a good verse to memorize. Humility is necessary to get a response from God, to get comfort from god you know let me let me just share my feelings to you this morning i was very very disappointed at our uh, government officials at our leaders in the way they responded to this pandemic that we're all going through i'm 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 really saddened Look, i remember watching updates on tv uh up one update after another on this virus and the experts are very adamant about saying we are going to look to science and the data in order to resolve this problem. That's all that matters. As if to say, if you're a person of faith, you're not in the conversation when it comes to how to deal with this pandemic. We're going strict, to look strictly at what science is saying to us and what the data is revealing, and that's that's how our leaders focused on handling this this pandemic, and, and don't get me wrong, okay, if you are a reasonably thinking Christian, you don't reject science, and you don't reject the data. None of us, I hope, rejects what we plainly see as the advancements that science has produced. And we don't question the data. We don't, we don't do that, okay? But to be so f- narrow in that regard that there's no room for God is something that offends me very deeply because science and and data, as true and as great as they are, they will never solve the core issues that faces humanity. Science will never be able to forgive sin and restore a heart that has been broken by life. Science couldn't do that. Science would never resolve the the bitterness and the hatred that resides inside a human being. A hundred years from now, we will be dealing with social justice issues and racism issues. No matter how advanced science has become, human issues will remain they are because we are tainted, we are fallen, we are sinners the in need of the grace of God. Would it kill our government leaders to say, follow the science, follow the data, but those of you who have faith, go on your knees and pray. Would, Would it hurt them to say that? But arrogance has overwhelmed our view of life that we forget that this is what God says in His Word. You know what He said in His Word? He says, if my people... Who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Loved ones, we need to bow our hearts before God. Oh, sure, we believe in, in advancements in technology and science and all of these things. But at the end of the day, God is looking to each and every person's heart this morning who would bow down and seek his face in the issues that we face. And now, that's, that's in the global sense. In the personal sense, we need to do the same thing. We need to understand how critical this small-mindedness, this attitude of humility is really plays a part in how we move on uh, in this life. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. How many of you know if we get on our knees before God and continue to plead with him, he will lift us out of this whole thing. But we we can't do it just as a church. We need like a national revival. You know, to be able to go through all of these things. Now, again, I want to m- emphasize this morning that we applaud all the advancements that science have accomplished. But at the end of the day, only God can lift us up into this miry situation. Secondly, humility is not only necessary for us to receive comfort and help, but humility is also needed to reach church harmony. Harmony among Christians. Look at verse 24. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul writes, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of other people. Humility is necessary to bring harmony starting inside the church, okay, among followers of Jesus. The context of this, this verse is also taken from the previous uh, chapter where, when Paul says, I want you to contend as one mind for the gospel. I want you to be united for the gospel in one faith. You have We have one faith, one confession, one baptism, and we have one common salvation. Harmony in the church, again, is a very big piece of God's purpose for His people and how we will impact the world. We are called to stand together in unity and harmony of the spirit because we are the main mouthpiece of God when it comes to his redemptive plan okay the church is a mouthpiece for the gospel it's us okay there's no one else okay that's why the spirit of God has been given to us That's a big piece. We need to be united. We have to have one united confession, one united testimony. There needs to be harmony of the spirit because we are proclaiming the gospel to the world. It's so vital that it was Jesus' central focus on his high priestly ministry in the gospel of John. When he prayed, if you read that prayer, it's focused on Christian's Coming together in unity. Uh, He prayed to the Father that the same unity he had with the Father and the Holy Spirit be manifested within the church. It's a big piece and it's a big deal in the ministry of Jesus. It was so big that I don't know if you recall this, but in the upper room, just before Jesus was to be betrayed and to be crucified. In the in the Last Supper, Jesus assembled his disciples and he proceeded to wash, wash their feet. Now I think about that for a moment, and of course, somebody over there, Peter, you know, <laughs> he's the number one disciple who will have something to say about it. He said, "No, Jesus, you're not. You're not ever gonna wash my feet. You know, that's not your place. You know, you you you're, you're our master. You're our Lord. You, we know who you are." You're not going to do this. And of course, Jesus said to him, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, who is the Lord of the universe, took his garment, wrapped it around his waist, got a basin of water, went to each and every one of the disciples and washed their feet. And he said, you got to do the same thing to one another. Because if you're not willing to use the example of humility that I've shown you, you have no part in me. You know what he's saying? Nobody gets into the kingdom of God without humility. Nobody gets into a relationship with Jesus without humility. Nobody gets saved without humility. No one. And Jesus even said it to his disciples. You'll have no part in me. Belonging to a church is not a joke. It's not something to be taken lightly because it brings us as one body in Christ. So harmony in a church is necessary and it comes by being humble. How we, How do we know that the Spirit of God is in the church? How do we know the Holy Spirit is present here this morning? H- how do we know that? Well, somebody will say, well, pastor, we just had a great praise and worship thanks to our worship team. I, I got goosebumps every time I sing these songs of praise. And that's wonderful. But that's not an indication that the Holy Spirit is present. That isn't. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's great. I mean, it's wonderful. Of course, it's, we, we offer ourselves to the Lord in that way. But, you know, I can turn on uh, uh, my radio at home and listen to this music and just cry all day. That's not an indication that the presence of the Lord is in the church. Well, pastor, great preaching, great preaching is an indication that the Spirit of God is in the church. That isn't true at all. I shouldn't say that, otherwise you wouldn't be here next week. But I've I've, I've never seen in scriptures where the Holy Spirit came because of great preaching. And and there's nothing wrong with demanding uh, worship and preaching to be great. Well, maybe the Spirit of God is present when there's uh, warmth in, in fellowship. People just get along with each other, which is a good thing. But getting along doesn't necessarily mean we're in harmony. Getting along doesn't mean there's unity in the church, because the one indicator that the Holy Spirit is present in the church is there is harmony produced by humility. We need to be united and humble, not only in our attitude towards one another, not only in how we deal with one another, but we need to have unity in every aspect of our existence as a church. And I'm talking about not just the local church, but the church at large. This is something that it's still a struggle. We're still very, very much divided in terms of denominational, you know, um, uh, fractions, factions rather. So unity is necessary because that's how we know the Holy Spirit is present. Unity in what? Unity in three areas. Okay, I'm just going to say all these three things together at one time. We need to be united in belief, in behavior, and in our boasting. <laughs> okay, I need, I need to find a letter B there somewhere, so you need to write that down. Belief. We need to be in harmony when it comes to the doctrine of Jesus. Not just what Jesus has done, but who Jesus is. Every single person in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, we need to unite together in our understanding of who Jesus is. Believe it or not, there are churches, local expressions of the body of Christ that do not agree about who Jesus is. Some people still think that, oh, Jesus is just a good man. Jesus was a great teacher or Jesus was this, Jesus was that. So, it, so what happens is that within the Christian church, we have many different factions. Loved ones, that shouldn't be. We should have a unified understanding of who Jesus is. And Paul, later on, will read, will describe to us and explain to us how we ought to believe together as Christians in our understanding of who Jesus is. So we need to be united in belief. Secondly, in behavior, in the demeanor of the church. We need to make a stand together, a, 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 a harmonious united stand on everything that the Bible speaks about. Now, we believe in the Word of God. We believe, you know, look, if we know the Word of God and we hide the Word of God in our hearts and in our minds, we will behave scripturally. And and, and we can't simply say, okay, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I fellowship with other Christians, but we disagree on this particular issue as to how, Christians ought to behave. There shouldn't be. I mean, I can give many, many examples. But you know what? When the Bible calls something sin, we need to be unified in saying, yes, we all agree that this is sin. Okay? There's no such thing in Christianity, and I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, okay, as pro-choice Christians. There shouldn't be anyone who call themselves Followers of Jesus and say they're pro-choice when it comes to understanding human life or where it begins. Oh, you're being so radical. You're being so this, you're being so that. But you know what? We cannot afford to accommodate each other on issues that we clearly know the scripture says is Mm sin. That's just one example. Our demeanor, our behavior...